The Biden administration brokered a $6 billion deal to exchange Iranian prisoners for five Americans jailed there. Women defiantly setting their headscarves on fire as crowds chant women, life, freedom. Many of the Iranian lawmakers chanted death to America and some then burned a paper version of the American flag, something that probably hasn't happened inside the parliament chamber. There's been a series of tunnels constructed in a mountain near the Iranian nuclear site at Natanz. Since taking office, our president has overseen a devastating economy, the death of 13 soldiers in a tragic Afghanistan withdrawal, the weakness displayed in foreign policy that galvanized a militant Russia to create a war in the Ukraine that has killed hundreds of thousands of innocents. Record illegal immigration, the most suicides in a year, 50,000 in 2022, the most drug overdoses in a year, 106,000 in 2021, the highest inflation in 40 years, 8.9% in June of 2022, the highest gas prices on record, $5.02 in June of 2022, and the most kids ever diagnosed with gender dysphoria. Thanks, Bidenomics. That's Bidenomics in action. And let's not forget what just happened. Biden just gave the most money any president has ever given to a terrorist country. $6 billion to Iran in exchange for American prisoners. Even the people watching Rachel Maddow are like, okay, we can't defend this old coot anymore. I believe we should do whatever is good and right to protect American citizens overseas, but sponsoring terrorism should fall outside of the purview of protecting anyone. You really don't know what you're talking about. That's why when you say, oh, I don't get into political stuff, that's ridiculous. Who the president is matters. It matters to people, and it matters what you do with your wallet and with your ballot. The refrain of many Christians today is, uh, just don't be political, just preach the gospel. To that last part, I'll say, yeah, preach the gospel. But when you say the word gospel, you keep using the word. I don't think it means what you think it means. If we truly love people and want Jesus to save them, we'll care when our president seals the death warrant of countless people because he gave $6 billion to terrorists. If you don't let that sink in, then all of your claims to love other people and to preach the gospel are a lie. You disgust me. How can you live with yourself? What you might really be saying when you say, oh, I, I don't like politics, I just preach the gospel, you might actually be saying, um, people in the desert all the way over there in Iran don't really matter to me. In case you haven't noticed, the white people are melting out here. And that's a horrific statement for a Christian to make. The evidence has been heard. If you're not horrified, by this prisoner exchange deal with Iran, you can no longer claim ignorance. You just simply don't care. If you care about others, you'll care about the issues facing our culture. You'll stand up and let your voice be heard beyond expressing your anger at the ref at the Saturday morning soccer game. I want you to play dirty if you have to, but don't get caught. Today we'll talk about how the failure of a law to pass in Ohio is convincing some Republicans that abortion is a losing issue. We'll talk about Maui and those devastating fires and how deep suffering actually leads you to some profound answers. And then we'll finally talk about Christianity Today and why they should join the ranks of Target and Bud Light in boycotts. We'll talk about that and more today on Indie Thinker. Welcome to the show. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. As I mentioned at the beginning of the show, 
It's not just important that you cast the right ballot, but you also vote with your wallet. By supporting the businesses and the organizations that promote good, healthy values, you are promoting those values in society and giving them the opportunity to actually proliferate. That's why it's important to make sure that whenever you decide to spend, you're not only spending with a trusted expert, but you're standing with a company that has great values. And that's our friends over at Element Home Loans. The Kevin Blair team at Element Home Loans not only will give you fantastic customer service, but they they care about your values. That's why they support this show. More than that, they can put you in some amazing programs to help you with with whatever real estate investments you have going on or whatever your needs may be. But in order to see all of that, you need to go to kbmtg.com where you can get pre-approved for a home loan today. If you are in the business of flipping houses or if you're investing in the real estate market because you realize you cannot wait for our political class to get their fiscal house in order before you finally get yours, well, then it's time for you to start getting proactive with your family's financial future. And you can do that by investing in real estate, purchasing your own home, and you can do that all by going to kbmtg.com. And when you do so, let them know that Andy Thinker sent you. As morally reprehensible as it is to have a out of sight, out of mind kind of mentality, many of us do that. We forget about things or turn a blind eye to things because we just can't care about everything. However, that doesn't negate our responsibility for paying attention to some basic facts. For instance, when we look at climate change and we're convinced that our gas-guzzling car is so horrible for the environment, just because we see exhaust coming from our tailpipe, it doesn't mean that we're excused from actually paying attention to the fact that for electric vehicles, the process of mining for those batteries is actually way worse for the environment than your gas-guzzling SUV. Sure, you don't see that exhaust because it's not coming out of your tailpipe, but trust me, it's coming from somewhere. So that and many other things promotes this kind of modern day morality that as long as I don't see it, then it doesn't actually exist. And this is certainly the case with abortion because many people believe that just because a baby's in your belly and you don't see it, it doesn't exist. It's like a game of hide and go seek with a very, very small child or a game of peekaboo. The child thinks you disappeared simply because you covered their eyes, but the moment you uncover their eyes, there you are magically in front of them again. How did it happen? Magic. And a lot of people believe that as when it comes to life in the womb. Well, I don't see it, so it must not be a baby. Uh, but uh, that ignorance is quickly dispelled the moment you get an ultrasound sonogram or actually see that baby come through the magical birth canal. And then you say, huh, wouldn't you know it? It was a baby all along. Now, it's important for us to understand the out-of-sight, out-of-mind kind of morality that causes us to push issues to the next generation so that we don't have to deal with them today. It's important to say, as one of our founding fathers did, that if evil comes, let it come in my time so that I can deal with it and so my kids don't have to. And again, I think one of those issues that we need to consistently pay attention to is the issue of abortion. Just recently, an Ohio law did not pass, and a lot of media outlets are claiming a triumphal victory for the pro-abortion movement. Here's why. In a win for abortion rights supporters, Ohio voters reject issue one. Ohio voters overwhelmingly rejected a Republican-backed ballot measure Tuesday that would make it harder to enshrine abortion rights in the state constitution, delivering a major win for reproductive rights supporters. Issue 1 asked voters to decide whether to raise the threshold of support required for future state constitutional amendments to 60 
Currently, just a majority is needed. The measure also proposed toughening rules for groups, trying to place future measures on the ballot by requiring them to obtain signatures from, signatures from voters in all of Ohio's 88 counties, instead of the 44 now required. So you might have caught that in what I just read to you. And in other words, what the law that did not pass in Ohio suggested was simply that you had to have a super majority if you were going to change the state constitution. Now, a lot of people are claiming that this ultimately was done because of the kind of retroactive, um, you know, overturning of Roe v. Wade, the laws that Ohio went back to as a result of that, the kind of snapback laws, they call it, where Ohio had to go back to whatever books they had Uh, laws they had on the books for abortion prior to Roe v. Wade. And so that snapback law saw that there were some kind of more stringent uh, restrictions on abortion, as it did here in my home state of Tennessee. And ultimately, Republicans were just simply trying to create the uh, a way for state laws to only be changed in the case of having a super majority. Now, let me just state something that I believe needs to be heard. I'm I'm not going to be completely ignorant here. Ultimately, this might have been motivated by trying to enshrine some of those snapback laws in Ohio, but I also want to be really clear. The reason that this law did not pass was simply because of the basis of the law, that it would be harder to change the state constitution and you would need a supermajority of whoever was in charge. Now, as a Republican, I would say that is incredibly horrifying for me if Democrats were in charge, and I'm sure Democrats would say the same about Republicans being in charge. So as a Republican, I'm not sure that I would vote for a Republican-backed bill that would create a supermajority necessary for amending the Constitution. And this is exactly what happened. The reason that this did not pass does not have anything to do with abortion, in my opinion, as far as I can see it. This is why Republicans voted against this bill that was backed by Republicans, simply because they did not want to create a stronger state government. They wanted to create a weaker state government. Um, I think that's why Republicans didn't vote for it, not simply because most Republicans are middle of the rotors when it comes to abortion. We've heard consistently, even from the likes of Donald Trump, that abortion isn't a winning issue, and we need to be a little bit more strategic about this if we're really going to win. I mean, look at what just happened in Ohio is what people are saying right now. But the problem with that is that this is not about abortion. This is about amending state constitution laws. And high you know, profile Republicans and conservatives like Ben Shapiro have said this very same thing. Here's him talking about how Republicans and conservatives need to be a little bit more strategic when it comes to abortion. That whenever there is a muscular attempt to enshrine in state law via referendum more pro-life positions, people don't like it because they're status quo biased. And if you're going to do it, you have to do it gradually. You have to do it over time. But both sides, because of that polarization, they're no longer seeking gradual. So you either have New York, which is seeking to legalize abortion until you're 85 years old, or you have people on the right who are seeking to ban all abortion in the state. Now, obviously, I have a lot of sympathy for that second position. That's the position that I hold. But it's not going to work if you can't actually win. 
It's a tough day for me because I agree with Ben Shapiro so much that I have to say I patently disagree with what he just said right here. Uh, We don't do what he just said with murder. So either we believe that abortion is murder, and if it is, then we don't equivocate and we don't pander for strategic purposes for the sake of playing the long game. We don't say, well, you know, these Democrats are not really going to uh, like it very much if we just say that you shouldn't murder people. So we better kind of just soft pedal it and say, hey, you can't murder people this way and murder people this way until finally we make it illegal for people to be murdered. If you believe that abortion is murder, as I do, and even as Ben does, then we need to be honest about that and as upfront as we possibly can be. And I have a second problem with this. Why do we win electoral office if it isn't for doing something like eradicating the culture of death? I know some people say they're one-issue voters, and some Republicans and conservatives say, I'm, one, I'm a one-issue voter, can you win? Because we need to win at all costs. Well, not at the cost of babies. Frankly, my problem with this is that Republicans have been saying this a lot and been saying it most of my lifetime. Hey, which just, we got to be strategic. We got to win. And, and, and if we can win, then we can do the things that we need to do. But oddly enough, Republicans, when they get in office, never do those things. It's almost as if Democrats and Republicans alike are in it to win it, but never to actually make true significant change. So Ben's strategy here is, is playing the long game, and I appreciate it. And if it saves more babies in the long run, I have to be for it. If I'm really going to be logically consistent, I have to say that the long game, if it saves more babies, then, then let's do your plan. But here's the problem. It doesn't. It's good in theory, but it's not good in practice. Again, conservatives have been saying this for years, and I no longer have the faith that they're being honest with me or that they ever intend on actually overturning any of the culture of death that we have in America today. So I think we just have to cut through some of the strategic talk and just be honest one with another. What we need is Republicans and conservatives who can actually argue for the reality that a person in the womb has rights. They have the right to life and liberty. They have the right not to be butchered. And if we can actually get Republicans honest enough to stage that debate, we can start swaying hearts and minds. The strategic approach is not going to do that. It never works. We never find ourselves in control of the House and in control of the Senate and control of the executive branch and in control of the Supreme Court in such a way that it actually overturns the culture of death in any significant way. Now, the vast majority of Republicans make a whole bunch of promises. They say they're playing the long game. They say they're being strategic. They say that they're going to win this. And then once they get that, they'll do this and they never do it. The way to truly win hearts and minds and to win on this issue is to have the debate. Make people tell you what creates personhood. Make people tell you what actually creates a baby and hold them to those definitions. And if we find that under scrutiny, the pro-abortion side actually has a bunch of rhetoric but no real logic and that all of their ideas are flimsy and the only way that they've been able to maintain those ideas is because they've been largely unopposed by Republicans, then we might find that the real key is actually pushing forth the issue presently in a substantive manner where we can actually win hearts and minds by absolutely destroying lies with facts and logic. I'm all for the strategic long game if it actually works and if they're, if our politicians are being honest with us about playing it. But r- color me skeptical. I just don't think they are interested in playing the long game. And in the meantime, 
babies are paying the price for it and suffering ensues for those mothers who are told that all you have to have is a procedure and this will take away all your pain and in the aftermath they're left with a dead baby and incredible emotional pain now moving to our next story if we're going to talk about emotional pain and suffering i want to talk to you very briefly about the maui fires and what's been going on there and truly devastating truly heart-wrenching scenes coming out of Maui with the wildfires that have been taking place on that beautiful island. And so I just want to start by saying we are praying for the people of Maui and praying for those who have lost possessions and loved ones especially. And I want to state at the outset of this, I'll get into this a little bit more toward the tail end of of what I want to talk about with this situation, but, uh, but I want to make sure that you know that there are opportunities for you to help out and harvest. Uh, which is a, a great church, a organization that has reached people all over the world. They're raising money for Maui relief, and you can take that uh, that good intention and go one step further and turn it into great action, and you can do that by uh, giving money to Harvest, and that money will go directly to the people of Maui. So there's a link in the description of this podcast where you can give some funds. Um, and it's really necessary because what's happened on Maui is just awful, and you can see that in this news report. As the death toll from a wildfire that raised a historic Maui town reached 93, authorities warned Saturday that the effort to find and identify the dead was still in its early stages. It's already the deadliest U.S. wildfire for over a century. Crews with cadaver dogs have covered just 3% of the search area, Maui Police Chief John Pelletier said. Now, so only 3% of the area has been searched with cadaver dogs and 93 people have been found dead. So who knows how many other countless lives have been taken. Now, the reason I wanted to bring this up was not only to bring awareness with what's going on in Maui and give you the opportunity to support the people there as they're going through this difficult time, but also because as a Christian podcaster, I know many people uh, have this sentiment. It's, It's a very broad and frankly, culturally acceptable sentiment to say, we don't need you to pray. We need you to do something. We don't need your prayers right now. This is a difficult, tragic time, and these people need more than your prayers. Now, I might even somewhat agree that there is ways in which we can help beyond prayer, but I do not agree with the sentiment that prayer is some small pittance that you give to people. Essentially, what people are simply saying there is because they don't share the faith of the individual praying, most likely, that how can you justify your belief in a God when suffering exists? So more broadly, I want to talk about just that idea. How how can what we just saw in Maui take place with this horrific, tragic fire, broad suffering, like actually exist, and we believe that God exists. So in other words, it's something like, if God exists, why would he even let this happen in the first place? So why should we pray? Like, is God that passive that he needs to just respond to your prayer to actually do anything? Um, and and why didn't why didn't he just make it so that wildfires didn't exist in the first place? If God actually exists, if God is all powerful and all loving, why is this happening? Well, let me just first suggest to you that I believe that Christianity truly offers a redemptive and meaningful view of suffering that you're not going to find largely on the atheist slash agnostic left, or if it is the Christian left in any way, if you can call yourself a Christian and be, and be on the left, it's a kind of false Christianity that really is less interested in real meaningful biblical answers at a time like this and more interested in kind of political finger pointing. So for the left, they're, they're interested in 
pointing the finger at MAGA Republicans, of course, and you wouldn't find it surprising, climate change. Bloomberg warns us that climate change is wrecking former havens. And then Ro Khanna called on President Biden to declare a climate emergency in response to the fires. And then, of course, Dick Durbin said the wildfires raging across Hawaii are a devastating view of our planet as we fail to adequately address the climate crisis. But one environmental management expert was not having any of it. He said this, blaming this on weather and climate is misleading, said Clay Trinikit, I probably destroyed that name, uh, of the University of Hawaii at Manoa, professor and environmental management expert. Hawaii's fire problem is due to the vast areas of unmanaged non-native grasslands from decades of declining agriculture. So in other words, the reason that this fire took place was because we are not managing the forest well and we're pushing agriculture out of the state for woke policies. And actually what you need is farmers to come in there and tend to the land for this stuff not to happen. Forgive me, but I just think there's a better way to handle this than secular humanism and the hopelessness that that leaves you with or political jockeying for position and finger pointing. I believe Christianity provides a better source of actually processing suffering, and here's how that works. So Christians believe that God could have made two possible worlds, a world where no suffering exists, but also no free will exists, because ultimately the source of so much suffering comes from free will. Now, the, re the way that that works is just simply this. There's two kind of, of evil in the Christian worldview. There's natural evil and moral evil. And natural evil would be kind of like what we see in this fire, kind of natural disasters, or the kind of moral evil that is perpetrated by human beings. So we're thinking rape, murder, those kind of things. So those, those two kind of evils. One, you have no control over, and the other one, you, you do have control over because humans are the ones creating it. But I would argue, and I think this is consistent with the Christian worldview, that the vast majority of evil kind of is as a result of free will decisions that we make. Even the woman who is raped, you might be able to argue that perhaps if she was a gun owner and she had made the decision to defend herself, that she wouldn't be in the situation that she's in. Or maybe if she had chosen a different path that night, or maybe if she had chosen self-defense classes, something would have helped her alleviate her of that suffering. Um, I think you can even argue, as we saw with this environmental expert, that this fire that we would consider an act of God might actually be an act of, of human will, that woke policies, even when they are good-natured and well-intended, often leave people with a repercussion that is negative. If you're not tending the forest, in other words, natural fires are more likely to happen. So, so many of the evils that happen do come as a result of free will. And so God could have created a world where there is no suffering, but it would be a world without free will. And God needed to create, on the other hand, a world with free will because free will is the only way to have love. Now, I know for those of you, and maybe this is for a future episode, um, 20 years maybe so in the future, in the year 2000, that AI robot that you've programmed to love you doesn't actually love you because it doesn't have the free will choice to love you. Uh, so ultimately, God wanted to create a world that had free will, even at the expense of suffering, because it was the only way to have a world where love exists. So in other words, two possible worlds, a world without love and no free will and, and no suffering, or a world with the potential for suffering, but also the potential for love through the process of free will. 
So God decided to make a world where suffering could exist, but he also made a world where there might be answers to that suffering, even if it is caused by humans. Now, you may say to yourself, well, why, why let that suffering come? And ultimately, I would just say to you, when you're, when you're asking that, essentially, if we truly believe that suffering is as a result of human free will, then ultimately what we're saying is, why can't we have a God that doesn't make us reap the consequences of our actions? Why can't we have a celestial genie that just does whatever we say? Or more importantly, like a, a celestial security guard that always protects us and never, and never lets us bef- see any harm? Well, well, here's why. And the first reason is, is that I think suffering leads us to prayer. And again, you may say to yourself, why does God have to be retroactive? And why doesn't he just do something before we pray? Well, it's a couple things here. First of all, prayer um, isn't God's butler service, but but also prayer is, is God's divine means by which he has declared he would move upon the earth. Now, you may not like that, but God is sovereign and he can make that decision. But more importantly, in the midst of suffering, prayer places us in a position to receive something that we wouldn't get if we didn't pray. First of all, prayer causes us to sympathize with other individuals who are going through suffering, right? The vast majority of Americans will see what's going on in Maui, blame MAGA Republicans, blame climate change, and get all upset, but not actually really truly sympathize with those people, you know, because like, after all, what can we do at the end of the day? However, prayer is a different story. When you pray, it gives you a heart for those people and it gives you sympathy for those people and what they must be going through. And more importantly, very often when Christians pray, we are reminded of something that Jesus said, that faith without works is dead. So prayer motivates us not only to sympathize with these people, but to go the next step of actually doing something about the suffering. Because once we start to sympathize with these people, it's not moral, it's not right that we just ignore it and move on. Now, prayer is enough because prayer is powerful. And I do believe God intervenes through prayer because it is a sovereign way in which he's done so. But prayer also is not just about changing the circumstance. It's about changing you. That's why I put in the description of this podcast an opportunity for you to give to Harvest Church so that you can help with some of the relief effort in Maui. And Christians are the most generous people on the face of the earth. Try to find another atheist organization that is right now collecting money to go try to help the people of Maui. Good luck with that. Christians generally, globally, are the most charitable givers on, on the planet. And one of the reasons is, is because they can't help but when they pray to sympathize with people and then to go that extra step to have personal responsibility because prayer is changing us as we pray to alleviate the suffering that these people are experiencing. And then the second reason that, that Christianity is so important in the face of difficult suffering is that the only way to truly find hope in the midst of suffering is through Christianity. Now, you can go the route of atheism if you want to, but all you'll have with atheism is you'll have nothing to alleviate the suffering. You'll have the suffering, but you'll have no answer, no bigger, broader reason for why that suffering exists. Now, sure, you can try to say that Christianity kind of defers answers about science and that kind of thing, but, but the reality is, is that there are no, there's no scientific evidence that, that this fire is caused by climate change. That's just mere political pandering. So ultimately, all you're left with, just simply, is two different people, both of which are suffering. One doesn't have any redemptive hope 
through the suffering. They just have the suffering and they have to endure it because they're a random collocation of atoms and accidents happen and it's just fate. And this is just the way the world works, as opposed to the Christian who says, God is good. God is all-loving, God is all-powerful. And if he is letting this happen, then maybe God, because he is also omniscient, is doing so for a greater redemptive purpose. See, only in Christianity do you actually have a redemptive hope in the midst of your suffering. In both scenarios, you still have suffering, but there's only one scenario where you actually have a redemptive hope in the midst of suffering, that, that a good all-loving and all-knowing and all-powerful God wouldn't allow suffering to happen if he didn't have a greater redemptive purpose through it all. As Romans 8.28 says, that God works everything out to the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. It doesn't say that everything is good. It just says that he will work it out to good, which is a belief and a faith in the midst of suffering that you only get by placing your faith in the God of Scripture, in Jesus Christ. And as we look at that book, We'll go to our final segment, Bible Study with Democrats. Oh, God of pronouns. If we're not going to take the tack of so many and say out of sight, out of mind, and actually be willing to think about moral dilemmas in the world, it's important that we understand where the vast majority of moral dilemmas are coming from. And I think what's happening on the right pales in comparison to what's happening on the left. While the left complains of white supremacy and apparently its close cousin, Christian nationalism, I would say it's probably like cousin slash boyfriend, girlfriend, since it must be incestual, uh, it's, it's close cousin Christian nationalism, we must remember that that's simply a segment of the population that comprises about 0.000001% of all Americans. The right complains, on the other hand, about the butchering of children in the womb, a number that exceeds tens of millions of babies, the butchering of children through supposed gender-affirming care, the sexualization of children through comprehensive sex education, and more. Yet, there is one Christian news organization that finds it incredibly easy to focus on the problems of right-wing modern evangelicalism while conveniently forgetting everything happening on the left. Christianity Today has appeared on the show before and is making another appearance in this segment because I was asked the other day, why go after Christianity Today? I mean, after all, they blew the whistle on the SBC and they even investigated the predictions of Mark Driscoll through their podcast, The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. While I think their reporting on those issues has been okay, and that that's being a little bit charitable, by the way, what I find hard to fathom is how any modern Christian paying attention cannot escape the fact that we are in a culture war. And the enemy may be within the church in some ways, sure, but it's clearly not the biggest issue right now. Search for yourself what kind of reporting Christianity Today has done on the sexual indoctrination of kids through comprehensive sex education or how horrible the epidemic of transgenderism is. I bet you it won't surprise you too much that all you can find is one article about youth pastors and learning how to navigate this new phenomenon with their kids. Weird, right? You'll find nothing condemning about the lies that our government told about COVID, nothing about the neo-Marxist agenda behind Black Lives Matter and critical race theory, and nothing about a whole host of other issues plaguing our country. But we get Mark Driscoll being a controlling and bad meanie. I don't like some of what Mark Driscoll did any more than I like everything I do. But seriously, it's almost as if Christianity Today is run by people who turn a blind eye to real issues. Uh, 
spineless men who want to kiss the ring of Beth Moore while begging the left to be welcome to the cultural elitist party for the weekend. More substantively, the reason I think you should be highly skeptical of Christianity today is because they function much like secular media does in the way that they narrate their stories through a bias that defies orthodox biblical Christianity. They mimic the media in also one other glaring way. At least some of their figureheads straight up lie to your face. And whenever someone tells you who they are, you should believe them. So here's Russell Moore, head of Theological Projects at Christianity Today, doing just that on multiple occasions. I have a list um, that I sort of keep in Google Keep of, of milestone dates so that, that I can sort of think about, oh, well, this is the date of my baptism or this is the date of uh, some significant thing happening. One of those dates is October the 7th because uh, this, was the, this was the day in 2016 when the Access Hollywood uh, tape released with a candidate for president talking in really, really shockingly crude and um, violent, I would say, terms uh, about women. And one of the things that the reasons that I mark that as a, as a defining point is because I thought, well, a lot of my fellow evangelicals who have been well-meaning, they didn't really understand what was going on here, they'll stand up and, and repudiate this. And they didn't. Now, put on your common sense thinking caps here. Russell Moore has, in the cloud, special dates that have he's stored up to remember. He's got the, the date that he was saved, the date that he was married, the date of his baptism, his kids' baptism, if he's got grandkids, their birthdays, and all these important dates. And among all of these important life-shattering days that have changed the history of his life, one of those dates is the grab-them-by-the-P-word tape when Donald Trump was exposed for being a misogynist. That was a very important day for Russell Moore. So raise your hand if you think Russell Moore is absolutely lying to you for the sake of his guest. Better yet, bigger question here. Raise your hand if you think Russell Moore is going to say anything about the corruption of Joe Biden and Hunter Biden. Raise your hand if you really think Donald Trump is that morally egregious that we should totally just sweep those things under the rug. Now, also, let me just make one basic and very simple point that Russell Moore is either feigning ignorance of or is truly ignorant of, and either way, not that great, that the vast majority of elections that are staged in America are done so on the grounds of the lesser of two evils. When Donald Trump was running against Hillary Clinton, the Christian voted for Donald Trump not because they love men that grab girls by the P word or that they were willing just to ignore that. No, we did that because we found in Hillary Clinton the most vile and disgusting human being, perhaps, in the history of our electoral process. We found a person that wanted to abort babies in the third trimester, you know, head poking out of the vaginal canal, and we're like, I don't know, should we abort, should we not? This is Hillary Clinton for us. This is Hillary Clinton who swindled her way into the Democratic National Convention nomination by... by 
by doing whatever she could to to cheat Bernie Sanders. Now, some of you might be saying, thank God. But nonetheless, she cheated her way into the nomination. That, that's been fully exposed. So we have a corrupt, disgusting, lifelong politician. And we have... And we have, on the other hand, Trump, who is who is not the picture of morality. So to to pretend that Christians were turning a blind eye to this fact and were elevating Donald Trump as some holy and revered prophet does not does not resemble any of the facts on the ground. This is a lie in order to pander to his guest, who, by the way, is a radical feminist. She knew, or he knew, that she would like that line of reasoning and blaming male evangelical evangelical Christians for just thinking that it's not that bad of a thing if you grab girls by the by the p word. So obviously what we have here is a blatant lie. It's not representing the facts of the actual election, it's not representing the facts of what evangelicals believe and it most importantly doesn't underscore how important abortion is to Christians. But it doesn't stop there because Russell Moore also decided to lie in another occasion here. Which means sometimes I think asking people in your community, what, uh, what, why, what, what's going on with our church? Uh, I had a friend who was talking to a pastor in Alabama who was serving a white church in a predominantly African-American uh, community. And the pastor said, I just don't know why we can't get black people to come to our church. And he's seated at a desk. Behind him is a Confederate flag and a bust of Stonewall Jackson. He said, well, maybe that's a clue. Perhaps. You know, maybe. You know. Now I have to tell you guys, I've been in ministry for 20 years, and I have preached in some pretty deep South churches, some of which that I can honestly say I'm pretty sure that the pastor there might not have the best things in the world to say about black people. Not that I have ever heard it, even in those deep South churches. But can I tell you something I have never heard or never seen in all of my years preaching, especially in the deep South, I have never once heard a white pastor that has a rebel flag and a bust of Stonewall Jackson in his office say, you know, I'm just really trying to get diversity in my church and I have no way of knowing why I just can't seem to get it. You know why that's never happened to me? Because it never happened to Russell Moore either. The dude is lying and he's lying again to pander to his audience. That happened about as much as aliens landed on this earth. Sorry, Matt Walsh. Listen, I have no ill will toward these people. I consider the people at Christianity Today and even Russell Moore brothers and sisters in Christ. I just want to be honest with you, and you should be honest with yourself. When people act like the left, they deserve to get treated like the left. When they lie, when they deceive, when they are dishonest with people, they don't deserve our trust. The reason people like this lie, like leftist media does, is because they're not interested in exposing the evil of leftist culture. They're interested in the credibility and the notoriety that can come when they pander to the culture. When Christianity Today lies like leftist media lies, they leave us with no other option than to treat this Christian organization like a leftist media organization. Now, they may be a you know, leftist media organization with a Christian bow, but leftist nonetheless. And for that reason, they don't deserve our trust, and they need Jesus. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks so much for watching. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, and go with God.